On Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz, we take a cinematic excursion through the work of groundbreaking Filipino thespian Vic Diaz. On this wonderful episode, we're going to be talking about a sleazy exploitation action film, I guess? Uh, Too Hot to Handle from 1977, starring Sherry Cafaro, Aaron Apale, Kareen Calvert, and of course, the man himself, Vic Diaz, as Sanchez, one of the most important and invigorating roles of his career. Okay, not so much. I'm Liam O'Donnell, and with me as always is the hitman extraordinaire, Doug Tilly. Doug, what's going on, man? Hey, Liam. It's so good to be here to talk about the wonderful uh, Filipino actor, Vic Diaz. You know, uh, one of the things about Vic Diaz is that he has a cult around him, right? I mean, there are people out there, when you say Vic Diaz, they can picture his face, they can picture some of his famous roles. But what we have discovered since starting the show is that that interest does not transfer to listening to a podcast. <laughs> I bet you the kind of folks that really like know who Vic Diaz is are still like, what, what is, what is a podcast again? Yeah. Like not everybody knows what yeah. po- or they know what they are, but they don't necessarily plugged. In. Like I've definitely had the conversation just in the past couple of months, Doug, of people with people about podcasts where they're vague, understanding of what it even was was similar to like what i thought about them in like 2006 you know what i mean like i don't know what do you need an ipod to hear a podcast like no man no you don't like on the other side of that i get angry at people who listen to the radio sometimes where i'm like you what do you mean you got to tune into something on the radio just listen to the thing you want to listen to whenever you want to listen to it this is 2022 what's happening i know It's yeah, I, I, you know, there was a brief period when I was living in Philadelphia in like, uh, like the mid 2010s, there was a brief period where I was listening to some podcasts, but I was still listening to NPR and sure. And well, I mean, that, yeah, absolutely. Not, I mean, you a, still not a lot of NPR, but some <laughs> NPR and I would be like, oh man, I got to remember to put this on when I'm driving home from this place because I want to hear it. And it was like years later, I thought everything I was listening to had a podcast version, but I would like be like, oh, let's put on this. Like it's that time for, you know, whatever it is, whether it's Bullseye, which is like definitely a podcast or, you know, wait, wait, don't tell me or whatever it is, you know, like you could hear it at any time. I don't know. It took me, I, I mean, don't wrong. It did take me a while to figure it out, but a while was like, 2013 doug like you know what i mean like it's it's been a little bit where i'm like yeah this is what it is we all kind of know what it is but that's not true for everybody some of these shows don't even exist on the radio anymore they're just solely existing as podcasts the other thing about vic diaz i mean i've been pretty transparent over the fact that when we started the show did i did not have much if any familiarity with him as an actor i mean i really have um, you know, gotten on board the Vic Diaz train. I feel uh, very close to him as an actor. But what I didn't realize when we started this project was that it's not that uh, he's not a strong actor. He's terrific. He's always a welcome presence in these movies. But the roles that he plays in these movies are very consistent, right? It's always evil dictator, uh, henchman, cop, right? I mean, like, they're almost always some variation on the same sort of thing, which isn't something that we, we've talked about in detail. And this is not a criticism of him as an actor. It really kind of speaks to the kind of supporting roles that Filipino actors had to be kind of saddled with throughout the 70s and 80s. And so you just see him, you know, bring his charm to roles that really probably the director didn't give a lot of thought or or consideration to and the fact that he has managed to stand out through so much of this work i think is a testament to his ability i agree doug and i think it is a reminder that filming in the philippines didn't necessarily mean uh giving respect to filipino actors absolutely right even 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 some of the directors that directed a lot of these movies weren't always treated with a ton of respect so Mm -hmm. yeah i i hear what you're saying here um this movie is unfortunately an example of a film that could do with a little more Vic Diaz in it. That's that's my feeling on this movie. <laughs> We're going to talk more about it. But one of the things about this movie is that this is a genre of movie that I would not be surprised if people said, oh, I remember that VHS box. Even though this came out before VHS was a big thing, I bet that once people could rent it, this was a regular rental. This, this feels like that kind of movie. Um, it's a certain kind of like sexy action movie. I think you could even go so far because of a couple scenes in this movie to call it soft core, which, which, yeah, you know, maybe I'm assuming a little much to say that, but it, but it feels like, you know, unlike a movie that's just like, we're making an action movie and then we're making sure parts of the action movie is sexy. 
for this movie, the sexiness is like the core of the film. Like that is, it, it's not just a, a, a movie about a bounty hunter or even a movie about a, a female bounty hunter. It's a movie about a sexy bounty hunter who uh, kind of seduces, though she doesn't have to put a lot of work into it, uh, the primary <laughs> policeman who's trying to catch her. And uh, and, and and part of the, the dynamics of the movie is the complications of their... I don't want to say love story. That's a little too sentimental for what's going on here. Um, but the fact that they are, you know, in a, a heated affair, even as she's trying to murder people and he's trying to stop her. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of things to say about that. We'll get into it. But it, it made me think, Doug, how do you feel about softcore action films? I think uh, there's a few from the 70s, uh, but the the trend didn't go away when, let's say, like this is coming out when – porno chic is a thing where people are talking about the idea that maybe sex could be more present in films. Sure. But these kinds of movies continue through the 80s and 90s. Even once people were starting to be afraid of sex again in their art, there were still hot action movies, sexy action movies, it, to an extent where even some of the more mainstream movies would have uh, frankly exploitative scenes in them just to like bring in the, the male, or, or I shouldn't even say male, but the... Uh, yeah the the people who are attracted to naked ladies audience you know um and so uh i just kind of wanted to know like is this a genre you appreciate is there an era of this genre you prefer more than than others how do you feel about the softcore action movie you know it's it's an interesting topic one of the kind of subsections of film historian that i have a lot of respect for are porno historians because and i know this is very separated from softcore porn in a lot of different ways but to me, it's like when I watch like 70s porn uh, and, and even the ones that are more filmic, let's say, ones that are closer to uh, telling a story, which, which you know, they lean heavier on that in the 70s than they would in the 80s and 90s. It Even to me, it's like I couldn't watch like a ton of that. It would just get so repetitive and boring for me. But for those who have like a real appreciation for the performers and for the history of it, I really have a lot of respect for that. And I feel like there is a lot there that I just can't see because I just don't know enough about it. I'm not sure that that same sort of depth exists in a lot of the softcore erotica of the mid-1990s, which was really, I think, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but a lot of it was meant to kind of satiate a need from people who did not have access to pornography or that they could kind of convince themselves that, oh, I'm watching a regular movie with a narrative and things like that. But there's this also this other element that I find very titillating. And there's nothing wrong with any of that, but it just is very much evocative of that era. The introduction of the action aspect of it, that to me is really fascinating because it does sometimes lend itself to a lot of kind of campy fun. And when I'm thinking specifically, and this is probably a lot of people of our generation, Liam, um, when they think of, sexploitation or softcore porn action they're thinking of like the films of Andy Sedaris but yeah. for me those were a little bit early for me so for uh, uh, the movies I think of are really like the Fred Olin Ray and Jim Wynorski movies of the 1990s which mix action and horror and all sorts of stuff that also have a lot of those kind of softcore elements to them as well in some cases not all certainly um, for me as like a 12 13 14 year old in the early to mid 90s it was enough just to see Naked ladies. Sure. As as a distinguished as distinguished gentleman in his early forties, Liam, it takes a little tiny bit more for me to be entertained by a movie. Not a lot, but it is something that I was kind of struggling with when I was watching today's film, which is just that how much can the sexuality and the soft coreness of it carry the movie? Am I bored during the sex scenes? I know that's a really strange thing to to ask yourself, but it is something that I was kind of struggling with with this. And how much does the rest of the movie have to make up for that? There there are really odd elements in this movie that make it uh, entertaining to me. And there are a lot of action <laughs> softcore movies which probably don't have those elements. But I think that's one of the reasons why Andy Sedaris' movies are still kind of enjoyed by a lot of people is that when the sex scenes are not going on, there's a playfulness to them and a weirdness to them that people really respond to. Uh, and But I also figure that there's probably dozens and dozens of movies that try to take themselves really seriously and then also have all this nudity and sex in it. And it's just like, well, I don't know if that necessarily holds a lot of appeal to me in 2022. Yeah, I think part of the problem for me is is that question of is is there – 
is there something in addition to the sexiness? You know, like, is it a fun action movie? Are there weird, quirky choices? Is it funny? You know? Also, like, I mean, is the sexiness sexy? I mean, that's a, well, that's, that's a question that's that everyone I'm, has to ask themselves. Yeah, That's yeah. what I'm getting to, is that because for the most part, uh, I don't find this version of erotic film that interesting, uh, especially because oftentimes... We're saying sexy. Andy Sedaris is a, is a is a great example. I don't find his film sexy at all. I I definitely appreciate attractive people in a movie. Uh, that's cool. Um, but I don't think there's much like sexual tension in them or anything like that. You know, it's just it's just a silly movie where people aren't wearing as many clothes sometimes. You know, um, and uh, you know we're gonna get to this movie, but I think uh, the the there is a kind of movie where. Um, instead of having a cast of people who are objectified, uh, both men and women, but oftentimes just women, uh, this is the sort of movie where we're focused on one human, like one person. And so like their sexiness needs to work for you because the director is not interested in bringing in other elements at all. There's not even like um, a lot of lingering on other people who are clothed, you know, let alone um, um, people who are nude. And even then, uh, there is a certain cachet to just the idea of nudity in and of itself in a lot of these movies where it's like, well, there's there's uh, there's some nudity, so therefore the movie's sexy. And I just think in 2022, that's not really enough, right? Like, it's just like, okay, I guess that's cool. I mean, I'm not against it, but I don't – it doesn't sell a movie for me. And I wonder how often again when we say sell a movie none of these movies were making 20 million dollars at the box office but you could maybe cover your budget if you showed the right naked body absolutely in a movie. I mean this movie and exists crazy. for that purpose like solely right I mean and in fact if they the director tried to make this movie without those sexual elements in it he never would be been able to do it because there's not enough there so it's supposed to be like holding up the other side I would do want to get your take Liam on someone that we haven't talked about who I don't necessarily people think of him as an action director, but certainly there's a lot of action in his movies. Russ Meyer, do you find his movies sexy? Uh, it's a well, I, I mean, I'll straight up say I've only seen a few of his movies. Sure. Uh, the ones I've seen, yeah, yes, on a very at a very introductory level, like not sexy. Not like intensely sexy, but do I find them like playfully sexy? Yeah, some some the, some of the ones I've seen I have, but um, again, there's a limitation to what these movies can do, uh, and and I um, <laughs> don't really, I'm just not really that interested. Again, I think we said this, but you know, let's say it on mic in front of the audience. I'm also an adult man. Like, it's different when you're 13. Well, maybe it's not different in 2022 when you're 13. But, you know, when I was 13 in 1994 or, no, 1992, um, I, sometimes I go the wrong direction on my on my age. Uh, you know, it, it, there wasn't really an internet. You know, there wasn't really a way, like, if you, if you were curious about the naked form, uh, there weren't a lot of options freely available. So the fact that a movie even had scantily clad people at all was like whoa that's crazy um in 2022 it's like you know okay i mean again there's nothing bad with seeing attractive people i love seeing attractive people but i see attractive people all the time and so if that's what the movie's gonna be about there's got to be something else going on there like it's just not enough for me to care uh about the movie in and of itself and at least for the couple I've seen, there's other things I care about with Russ Meyer movies, even sure. if part of it's like, I just think it's silly, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, I'm, I'm using this word knowing that it's a loaded word. There's kind of a grotesquerie to the way Russ Meyer does some of his movies where they're so cartoonish and exaggerated that it's it's like even the human body has been kind of contorted a little bit, that it's kind of dares you to find some of it sexually pleasing, I think. Yeah. But it also is willing to be wild and crazy and, and you know, just really, really out there. And I don't think a lot of the movies that, that would fit into this category are going to be taking nearly as many risks, uh, including today's film. But I have to say, this movie takes a few more risks than I would have thought, certainly in, in the the styles of sexuality that it's exploring. But I guess we'll talk about that in just a minute. 
Sure. All right. Well, let's take a break. Uh, I think we came out sort of uh, mez a mez on uh, on sexy action movies, but maybe this one will be different, Doug. Maybe this is the one that that convinces us otherwise that these movies are always great. I'm sure everyone who's been listening so far really gets a sense that this one really blew our. Mind. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a break. We'll be right back. Nice of you to stand there smoking while I took on three of them. Why didn't you move in sooner? Well, you were doing fine until that little goon came along with the 45. Besides, you're the man, and the man usually takes the lead, doesn't he? My hero. Come on, darling. I'll drive you home and take care of those little cuts. Little cuts? I'm bleeding like a stuck pig. <laughs> Poor baby. Gorgeous blonde assassin Samantha Fox accepts a contract to liquidate a quintet of gangsters in the Philippines. Problems ensue when she falls in love with a Manila detective investigating the killings. It's 1977's Too Hot to Handle. Oh, man. Uh, in our notes, Doug has uh, included a poster, y'all, that is in no way representative of the movie you're about to watch. I mean, I, I, you know, it's the woman in the movie, but the, no, it's not. No. Uh, this movie was. No, no, please, Liam, describe the poster for our listeners. Uh, a woman with a different haircut than she has in the movie is wearing sure. a black bikini with uh, knee high boots and holding a machine gun and a whip. Is that a whip in her hand? I think it might picture? be a whip, yes. Uh, now, she does have a whip in the movie, though she doesn't really use it much. Uh, it's it's more something that it belongs to someone else. And she never has a submachine gun, right? Oh, no. She has an AK in the one scene in the movie. So That's I right. So it's kind of vaguely associated. She's also on a soundstage with fog behind her. Yes. It's, tons of fog behind it has, her. It really is not. And I swear to God, this picture was taken years after this movie was made. Like, it doesn't really look like it. It was taken contemporarily with the movie. Oh, thank you for making it larger. She also has a, she also has a cross necklace on, which I don't even. Yeah, like she's got this like uh, she's got this weird. Um, what would you call that? Like the like the haircut that she has, Doug. I know you're a. You're I mean, it's kind of fashion expert. F- uh, Farrah Fawcett ish, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. But I'm like, it's not really my area of expertise. No. Anyways, it's a ridiculous poster. Um, this film was directed by Don Shane. Uh, he was actually in a relationship with the star of this movie, uh, Cherry Cafaro, at the time that they made it. I think uh, we'll talk a little bit about this. I think that kind of comes across in the movie. But she was in a, a series of these sexy, tough, female James Bond-style crime fighter films. They're called the Ginger Flicks. Yeah. So uh, Shane wrote and directed all three of these immensely popular cult films, Ginger from 1971, The Abductors from 1972, and Girls Are For Loving from 1973, which is a abhorrent title, by the way. Um, just a real <laughs> bummer. Uh, he, he, you know, he directed Kafaro in, in a number of sleazy movies, like A Place Called Today, She's Too Hot to Handle is the movie we're talking about. But the one we watched was just called Too Hot to Handle, right? I guess it had a few different titles. It had, yeah, She's Too Hot to Handle is where it's, it's known for, it's known as, I should say, on some posters. This was actually the last film that Don Shane directed. Yeah, then he uh, became a producer, uh, actually produced the high school musical films. Like, he produced all of these Disney made-for-TV movies right up until the end of his career. Completely changed, you know, talk about changing direction a little bit. But yeah, so this was, their relationship, I think, lasted up until the late 70s. They made all these movies together. She stopped acting almost immediately after this film. He stopped directing immediately after this film, and it went on to producing. Instead, found some massive success. She went into beekeeping, Liam. Oh, okay. Well, that's also important. I'm into that. Hey, it's, I think uh, it's actually significantly more important yeah. than those high school movies. Certainly. Films. Oh, yeah. Certainly more than, <laughs> than producing Disney movies. Although I do think, like, you could make an argument that the Disney movies are not that dissimilar from this movie in just their ability to uh, to exploit the interests of their audience. Um, uh, written by Jan Michael Sherman and uh, Don Boudet. Uh, the only other writing credit that uh, they have is 
uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park from 1978, the TV movie. I've never seen it because you, I hate Kiss. Now, I hate Kiss, Liam. I, I'm on record in terms of my dislike of this band. And I'm sorry, listeners, if you are big Kiss heads, but it's just not something that doesn't appeal to me. This movie, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, is a lot of fun to watch. It's basically a live-action Scooby-Doo episode featuring Kiss. And if that holds some appeal to you, you might enjoy it very much. The acting, of course, is ab- absolutely reprehensible. And just, just awful, but... It is funny to think about. Now, this isn't the only writing credit that these two gentlemen have had, uh, aside from this, but uh, most of them are pretty minor. This is the most kind of visible writing credit. And again, it's just a year later. The idea that they went right from writing this dialogue to writing the kind of cartoon stuff for Kiss Me, Savannah sure. Park. Yeah, yeah, I could yeah, see yeah. how it would transfer over to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as we already said, this movie stars Cherry Cafaro, uh, Aaron Apale, Kareem Calvet. John Van Drelen, and of course, the man himself, Vic Diaz, as Sanchez. We'll get into that. Uh, something worth noting, um, Cherry Cafaro talked about uh, filming in the Philippines. Uh, she had worked on Savage Sisters from 1974, a movie that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I'll tell you what, did you recognize her from Savage Sisters? Not at all. No, didn't even click. I mean... I'm sure she's in it, but she must not have been one of the main people because I did not recognize her. One of the savage sisters. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, She said of shooting in the Philippines, I love shooting there. It was fun, very different and unusual. There was a a dictatorship government at the time, which was strange, being born and raised in the United States myself. I really loved working there, though. You had to have a good sense of humor to shoot a film there. You had to be really laid back. I'm sure that's true. It was yeah. so hot in most days. It could be as hot as 120 degrees. It was a completely different experience shooting in the Philippines, and everyone on set became really closely knit. Uh, sounds like she had a good experience shooting this movie. It'll be interesting to see if we had a good experience watching it. Doug, <laughs> what did you think of 1977's Too Hot to Handle starring Cherry Kafaro? It's bizarre. It's a really strange movie, uh, and that doesn't really give a sense of whether I enjoyed it or not. And maybe I'm tangling with that a little bit myself. I do like the structure of it, which is just she is a hitman, uh, or a hitwoman, I should say. And so she kills somebody, and then she gets a new uh, gig where she has to kill four people. And the entire movie is just her developing this relationship with this police captain, while at the same time killing these people one at a time in various kind of bizarre ways. The movie does set up to be a little more interesting than it ends up being with all this S&M stuff at the very beginning, but it never really kind of follows through on that kind of <laughs> the extremity, I would say, of that, or at least the the uh, curiosity of that. The difficulty with this movie isn't that it isn't strange enough. It does get plenty strange. It's that I don't necessarily connect with Sherry Kafaro as Samantha Fox at its core, and this movie fucking loves her like this movie is all about how she is this unattainable perfect woman she is a martial arts master she is incredible with gunplay she is like like she just is too much for any man and that's and she's also incredibly smart and devious and and is completely untouchable at all times so there's no question that she's going to get get away with things and there also is no question that that everyone is going to fall in love with her as soon as they meet her and I don't necessarily feel as a viewer that that came across adequately for me because <laughs> I did not feel that strongly towards her uh, in any particular way watching the movie. It's sometimes it's fun to watch in the sense that it's poor. And when I some of the action, particularly the hand to hand stuff, is kind of it's really silly. You know, people they do they put their hands in a position that's supposed to be like karate like as you would think in 1977, which is just like, oh, I'm going to wave my arms around and see what happens. Uh, and that kind of stuff is fun. And some of the action scenes themselves are fun. And I do like the creativity in the murder scenes in it, even though it's very cartoonish and kind of James Bondish, I suppose. But I, I, everything in between those scenes is just awful and <laughs> unpleasant to watch. Yeah, this is something I wasn't really thinking about till you were talking about it. But I, I do feel like maybe we should be thinking about this movie as the last movie in a series of movies because yeah. I think the movie assumes that you know that she's badass, that that she just comes on screen and you're like, there she is, the most dangerous and beautiful woman in the world. And like, I don't know that, Doug. That is not something that's like an, an assumption of mine. And so the film just sort of goes with the idea that like, she's the reason you're here. Like it has two things to offer, Cherry Kafaro and, and, and the way that she embodies this character. And then... 
vague action set pieces, some of which are fun and some of which just kind of fall flat. That's it. That's the whole movie, really. Um, I guess you could also say the intrigue between her and this police detective. I found the police detective uh, to be a null point in, in the movie. He's not super compelling. I, I, I honestly, even in his very small role found Vic Diaz more interesting, uh, oh, but we'll certainly. get into that. Uh, but at this least guy, he likes to eat. That's something that's a character trait. <laughs> and, and in fact, I think one of the issues between in the film is this utter lack of, of chemistry between these two. I do want to say though, that while I agree, the film is worshiping Cherry Kafaro, and I'm not sold on her either as a sex symbol or as an action star. I will say that compared to her co-star, she does have more charisma. Yeah, um, she, I don't know she that has that, life to her. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I don't mean that. I don't know that it makes her a great actress. I don't know that she has a ton of range. But the idea that she could carry a better movie just on her own charisma is not impossible. I could see her in something that was less focused on her nudity and more focused on her being kind of sassy and and her actually being pretty good uh but she spends more time just strutting around nude than she does like sassing people and and honestly you know she's not a strong fighter her fight scenes are not great (laughs) she's she's i would say the only thing she does compelling in the film is like sort of you know sass talk the men around her and i wish honestly there was more of that in the movie it's the strongest part that she brings uh but you know the movie isn't that's a part of the movie it's an important part of the film but the the draw the thing on the marquee is death and cherry kafaro's body those are the things the movie wants to sell you and it's just it doesn't work for me it's not that sexy and 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 not only that we're supposed to part of that has to be her relationship with this detective. The guy, I'm sorry, can't act very well. He's just not great. He's not. <laughs> it was just odd to say because he had a much more substantial acting career than almost anyone else in this movie. <laughs> uh, 100%. And I don't know what it's about because, at least in this movie, maybe he's great in something else. Maybe it's just the material. But in this movie, he's not compelling. He's not super believable. And he doesn't have a ton of charisma, which is what he needs for the. You know, she needs us. If we're going to believe that here's this super professional super experienced bounty hunter who's 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 risking it all to fuck a cop right that better be one charming ass cop right and this guy is just not he just seems uptight the whole movie he doesn't seem that cool even the part where it's like let's go to a rock club my man won't get up and dance like you know what i mean like he doesn't <laughs> and even like he's even hesitant it's like well it's kind of late maybe we should go home yeah he's he's a little uptight i have a really important question for you liam because yes. i've never seen the ginger films. Um, but my understanding is that that the lead here, she plays like a secret agent crime fighter. But in this, she plays an assassin. So it's a lot more kind of morally conflicted. Are we supposed to like her character in this? I was on board with that we were. That these were shitty people. Yes. And she was murdering them. And it's They cool reinforce it that, that she's suck. killing people who are bad people. Though they also suggest that she's been hired to do this to open up the crime. Like, uh, to, the, the, she's basically taking care of people who are in charge of white slavery and drugs. And so someone else can come in and just take over all of that. So that doesn't, that seems like a. Can we also say the 70s that. inclination to use the term white slavery? I know. It's one of the grossest fucking things. And we hear I, it in Believe these me, I agree. I hate it even saying it. Yeah, but it's yeah. definitely what the movie no, is. No, it's definitely to what apply. they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, here's the thing, Doug. I, I actually, we were going to get to this later in relationship to the topic of this show, but let's burgeon it right now. I am on board with uh, her character and who her character is and what her character is about, (laughs) especially in the idea that maybe she's seducing this cop just to mess with him, which turns out not to be the case, which makes the movie less good. Um, But I was pretty on board. It's really the moment that Vic Diaz dies, when Sanchez goes. (laughs) Now, granted, Sanchez is a police officer, and as you all know, we're not very very, uh, sympathetic to the police on this show. However, in the context of the movie, in the world of the movie, up until that point, she has not really hurt any innocent people. So you could still get on board with the idea that, like, she's dangerous, she's not to be fucked with, but she's still not bad, per se. You know what I mean? 
And then Sanchez eats it. And it's just like, what the fuck did Sanchez do, guys? Like, what, you know, like, it's not that hard for us to see at least one scene to make us go, I don't know about that Sanchez guy. Like, maybe he's not so great himself. But no, Sanchez is great. Sanchez puts up with this dumb idiot. Sanchez knows that this jerk off is fucking the 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 uh, main suspect. Sanchez knows that he's basically doing all the work while this guy just walks around trying to be hairy and handsome, you know. And uh, and then he dies. No, it's not okay. And so, it's, and, and, and and it really makes for me. Uh, not that we're there yet, but I will say it made the ending less satisfying because I thought uh, justice for Sanchez. I mean, I agree. The movie, just so the listeners who haven't seen this movie understand, Vic Diaz plays basically the uh, the number one cop under the main cop in the movie who is sleeping with Samantha Fox. So, so Samantha Fox, her, and I don't know if he's the chief of police or whatever, but anyway, he's he's the the main he's detective, the head on, of the detective, like the detective division, right? And Vic Diaz is one of his cops that he goes to and and is helping him with this case for the entirety of the movie, right near the end. Vic Diaz is tailing Samantha Fox. Um, when I say Samantha Fox, this is the character name, not the famous Samantha Fox, just in case that's confusing. Um, the lead character, Samantha Fox, Vic Diaz is trailing her, and he's driving in a car, and he is forced off a cliff <laughs> into a fiery crash and dies. And like Liam has said, he, he's done nothing wrong. Now, after this, our two leads, the the cop, the 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 detective guy he confronts Samantha Fox and she says it was an accident was it an accident i mean i guess i if it was meant to be a shocking accident the film i think would have portrayed it differently i would have thought so too so we're supposed to think she's lying in that scene yeah. but it's also the main motivation for him to be like look i can handle you murdering people without any <laughs> without any uh, uh response whatsoever but killing an innocent police officer is a bridge too far for me. Yeah, it's it's weird. I think it's just supposed to push us toward the finale. Uh, but up to that point, I think the movie unequivocally thinks, oh, what she is doing is good. So, I mean, part of this movie, Doug, is that it's it's selling you something, right? It's selling you a vibe. We keep mentioning Bond. And that's a hard reference to make in 2022 because I think the new Bond movies are different than those Oh, very Bond much so. Movies. Yeah, I've actually just recently, and that's, it's kind of funny timing, I just recently went back and I've watched the first six Bond movies over the last, like, month or so. So I'm very in tune with the early Bond at this point. And I think those Bond movies were selling their audience something that in 2022 we might call a vibe. Right. Absolutely. That they are sexy and cool. This is the height of sexy and cool. And I'm not going to lie. I think this movie thinks it's really fucking sexy and cool. I think that's yeah. part of what it, they want the audience to feel about the movie. Doug, did you think this movie was both sexy and cool? <laughs> I. No, I don't, Liam. Uh, I do <laughs> like the idea that that their version of what a James Bond movie would be in on like a smaller, much smaller budget would be, okay, we have one international location, the Philippines. So that's where we're going to set it. And we're going to have, you know, our bondish character. Now, even the music kind of uh, resembles the James Bond movie at the beginning of this, at the very least. So it definitely is trying to hit that vibe and it's not trying to hit like a seventies bond vibe with like a lot of the, one-liners and stuff like that. It's a movie that does take itself really seriously for the most part. Yes, yes. And I think that's where it kind of goes awry. It's just a little too serious. Um, even when it's being outrageous, it's a little too serious. And, and I think it's because they want us to think that this, as you've already said, this relationship at its core is like really cool. And it's like, wow, look at this couple. They're so hot together. And it's like, if that doesn't hit for you, then this movie isn't going to hit. And there was nothing about that relationship that worked for me. And neither of those two performers did I find so charismatic and beautiful and, and endearing that I wanted to see them. Like, I didn't care if they ended up together or if he, she just fucking shot him in the head. It didn't matter to me whatsoever. Now we've hinted that there are some action set pieces here, uh, a variety of, of, of different moments here and there. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite is her terrible fight with the guy who comes to the boat on the boat. Uh, it is amazing. It's like, just she... ridiculous. Uh, Doug, what was one of your favorite action set pieces of this movie? Do we count the murder scenes yes. in this action? Well, then yes. I have to talk about something. Uh, when I went to the letterbox reviews for this after watching it, I was surprised that this wasn't brought up uh, a little more frequently, which is that in 
In one of the scenes in the movie, she pretends to be a reporter so she can get access to one of the people that she's got to kill's house. And she's pretending she's like this art expert and she showing how refined she is because she does know a lot about art. They have this long conversation. Later, she goes back to his house <laughs> disguised as a Filipino maid. And the way that she has disguised herself as that is that she has caked herself with brown makeup yep. and put on a false nose and uh, and teeth. So she has the, false the teeth. The false teeth is the most racist part. Yes. So she looks like this grotesque grotesque caricature of this person. And the minute she shows up on screen, you're like, oh, there she is in disguise. Like, there's no – nobody's going to think, right? There wasn't for a fucking second that I thought it wasn't her. It, it's just – but the movie's like, oh, master of disguise. It's funny. I just watched, um, I think it's You Only Live Twice, the James Bond movie, where he goes to Japan. And uh, like, <laughs> and it, it's not that no James Bond movie from that era is totally respectful. But for the most part, it's like, oh, he's learning a real appreciation for Japanese culture. And then three quarters of the way through it, they're like, we're going to disguise you as a, as a Japanese man. And all they do is like cake on some makeup and give him a fucking wig and pu- pull his eyes back. They give him fake eyelids and they're like, now you're a Japanese man. And that's what the vibe that they're kind of going for here in the movie. So what she ends up doing is she gives a tranquilizer to this guy as he gets in his bathtub so he can no longer move. And then she stuffs towels in the drain so the water level goes up high enough that he just slips into the water and drowns. And uh, yeah, I guess that would be both my favorite and least favorite scene because it feels like something <laughs> that was devised by a madman. Yeah. I got to say, one of the scenes that I'll, I'll say I liked on a serious level was actually the big shoot at the end uh, with Subas Herrero. Sure. Uh, who, by the way, um, is another person like Vic Diaz I just know from some of the movies he's been in. You know, yeah, absolutely. Black Mama, White Mama, or Panic, or some of the other things. Anyways, um, there it's one of the few points... Like I agree, her being in, uh, her her. Just so you guys understand, they really were like, we want you to look Filipino, so we want to give you racist fake Asian teeth, but then paint you brown because that's what Filipino people are—brown Asians. It is the grossest thing you could imagine in, in a way. And then she kills the guy by just being like, yeah, I'm going to fill up your hot tub too much. So everything <laughs> about that is like good. But one of the few action scenes that works on its own merit is this final shootout. And it's not the most exciting, you know, like I'm, I'm definitely. It's clever. Bar, I'll give it that. Yeah, but absolutely. it is. It's kind of clever. It kind of works. Um, and, and honestly, I just like seeing more of Subas Herrero. When he showed up, I was like, oh, look, another familiar face who right. doesn't suck. And he doesn't get to do a lot in this movie, but he does something, which is, like, cool for me. Um, so <laughs> I'll lift that up, too. For the most part, all my other favorite action pieces are things that don't work. Anytime she's fighting anybody, it's dumb. It's just dumb. Um, and honestly, there's one uh, action set piece I definitely have to ask you about because it is the climax of the film when um, this character that uh, we're supposed to care about both of these characters. Yeah, yeah. And we're supposed to be compelled by their, I don't know, destructive love for each other, I guess. This attraction that is. He's a cop. She's a criminal. I mean, yeah. how can they make it? Work? Oh, yeah. my God. And so uh, so she drugs him and then uh, ties him up in the boat and sets the boat to explode. Yes. And we're just supposed to roll with that, Doug. Doug, did you think that was cute when she tried to blow him up or she did blow him up? The mechanics of it were so intrusive to me. Yeah. That it I couldn't stop thinking about it. So any tension was completely removed. So just to give you a little bit more information, she has tied this gentleman up on the boat and left him a note basically saying, I love you so much. And I love you to such an extent that even though you're out to get me and you say that you're going to chase me around the world to catch me, I'm actually going to give you an opportunity to live. As long as you undo your the knots on the, the, the ropes that have tied you up, then if you do them kind of like slowly and uh, efficiently, like just the way that he approaches his police work, he'll be able to free himself with seconds to spare before the boat explodes. So you're watching this guy and he's like slowly undoing these knots. And you're like, so how did she know exactly when he was going to wake up from being drugged? What if he was still woozy for a second? What, right? What if he, I mean, there's a million different variables that would lead. And then the movie suggests, though it doesn't go, I mean, it's set up that allows, 
it's a setup that allows for him to theoretically survive, but all it shows is him get the last thing, uh, last knot undone, start to run off the boat, and show the boat fucking explode. <laughs> you don't even get to see him jump in the water. Um, and I, I guess you're supposed to interpret that as, oh, maybe she didn't give him enough time, like it was never meant to be seriously. But it's just like, why torture the guy then? Like, what was the fucking point of that? The whole thing is just ridiculous. And it's, it is yet another moment where you're like, what are we supposed to feel about this movie? Is this a dark movie? Is this supposed to be like a trap? I mean, first of all, I mean, let's just get back to this very idea. Like, she turns into fucking jigsaw. In yeah, scene. totally. <laughs> but even the idea that like these two, they have no chemistry, Doug. Like, not a fucking ounce of spark between them. But they just can't help but be together, even though they both know it's such a bad idea. From the moment they meet, y'all, the first time he meets her. He has someone sketch her so that he could use the sketch to pin the crime to her. And she knows it. She fucking knows it. She's not surprised. <laughs> An artist. And then he, because he wants to make sure that she was the reporter, she was pretending to be a reporter. Yeah. He takes the image that the guy is drawn in front of her. and He's like, OK, now add glasses. <laughs> no, that's, what, that's when it becomes. Uh, she looks at him and the look at her face says, I know what you're doing. Yeah. And then they go and they have sex. And it's just like, wait, what's happening right now? I like, I took. Liam, I got to bring up something that I think you've probably forgotten about this movie already. Yes. Which is that, do you recall? Now, I've already mentioned the white slaver in this movie. Yes. uh, yes, But uh, it's a woman and uh, she is a beauty expert and she has come up with this, this age rejuvenating, like skin rejuvenating, I should say, technique where you. Put mud on your face and then you add an electric charge to it and it's supposed to like uh, de-age your skin. So the way that she's killed <laughs> – by the way, the, the police just say over and over about how this, this hit woman has to be a professional because she never leaves any evidence. So <laughs> she uh, puts the she, – she, I can't remember how she makes her unconscious. Does she just drug her again, like drug her drink or something? Yeah, 100%. Um, Drugs her drink, puts her on, straps her down because you need to be strapped down since you twitch a bit with the electricity. Puts all this mud over her face and then just fucking electrocutes her to death. And it's just like, whoa. that feels like it's meant to be comical, but it's also kind of like weird and a little disturbing to watch while it's going on. So well, it's just and, and they're watching a video of her demonstrating it on TV, exactly suggesting. That the person she's doing it to on TV also died. Like this is some sort of justice or something. Yeah, but that's not what happened. It's no. Not. She's fine, actually. It's like watching like a a, a paid ad on television. And like, he said these pots and pans can you know make fish and eggs, and then the, and I'm gonna go. Well, I don't. Know. I have no where to go with this particular comparison. But it is just a very strange thing. Also, they use a very primitive looking VHS player in this, Liam. That I was very interested in. In Agreed. terms of playing this video. Agreed. <laughs> now, but please continue. Well, I was going to say, Doug, I, clearly I've never lived with the passion that Cherry Cafaro and Don Shane uh, were managed to, to have. Because I've never been in a relationship this destructive. i got to ask, Doug, were you able to relate to these characters that were willing to risk everything they did and believed in for uh, I, what, what appears to be four nights of, of passion, I guess? And then a very awkward cocktail on the boat. <laughs> Liam, I do have to say, when I was in my early 20s, the, I was led around enough by my genitalia <laughs> that I probably could be convinced to do a lot of really reprehensible things if there was a promise of some titty grabs at the end of it. Uh, <laughs> all I'm saying is it wouldn't have taken much at that time. I'm Like I said, I'm a refined man in his early 40s at this point it would certainly but i certainly have been led astray uh and and, you know led astray seems to suggest that it was the other person's fault i was allowed i allowed myself to be led astray several times uh as i was growing and developing into the human being that i am right now so i can't say that it would be impossible right if i was uh, extremely attracted to somebody and they showed a similar interest in me and we had this incredible connection and then they told me that they like to kill people i'd be like i think i can probably handle that now if my job was then to also catch that criminal uh, that would be a little difficult but as we've already talked about at length 
cops are bad at their jobs. But Doug, anyway. he knows going in. He has no reason to interact with this person other than his suspicion that she is the killer. He knows for a while before they even talk to each other that she's the killer. It is. I just found myself, and again, this might be because I'm just not as passionate a person as these two people, but watching it, I just, at multiple points, was like, I don't understand why anyone is doing anything. Like, I don't understand why he does. He does vocalize a few times that he thinks it's probably, like, it's not necessarily a bad thing that these people are being killed. But then there's a scene, like, about halfway through the movie, which, like I said before, it suggests that these people are being killed specifically to open up space for other right. criminals to yes. come in. So it's just like he shouldn't feel conflicted at that point. The, this is not going to be better. It's just going to make one hugely powerful crime syndicate in the area. Yeah, it's it's a strange one. I, I don't understand it. Well, let's not try to decode this movie anymore. Let's focus on what we're here to focus on, which is one Mr. Vic Diaz. I've already suggested what a tragedy I felt it was when he was removed from the film. Doug, how did you feel about Vic Diaz's performance in Too Hot to Handle? He's great. Like I said before, the, the roles that we see Vic Diaz play in these movies, they fit into kind of neat categories. And this is one of the... this. Blurs the line just a little bit in that he is a competent police officer who also has a little bit of a comedic bent to him. Like there's a suggestion that he likes to eat all the time, that maybe he's a little lazy because he talks about how tired he is because he's walking around tailing her. But he's a lot of fun and he's so recognizable. You know, it's just it's such a joy when he shows up and he brings that energy to the movie. This is a movie that needs to lighten up a little bit anyway. So mm-hmm. having him as a character and it's not played too broadly in terms of the humor, I really like it. I mean, I'm like you. The, the I guess the reason I was a little upset that he was killed off in the movie is because it seemed so unnecessary. I guess the whole reason for it now that I think about it is the idea of this police officer being tied up at the end and on the boat that's meant to explode is that he's he, he's the only person who is chasing her, right? At that point, he's really like, the only people that we've seen kind of connected to the case are Vic Diaz and him. So now that Vic Diaz is dead, he's the last connection to this case. If she just killed him or had the threat of killing him at the end when Vic Diaz was still alive, then he would be like, oh, I guess this guy is still going to be out there chasing her or, you know, showing all the evidence. But the idea, I, I guess, is that she gets a, gets away as clean as you possibly can because nobody, I guess, wrote down all the stuff that was going on involved with this. I mean, I get it, Doug. I really do. <laughs> well, paperwork yet, is a pain in the ass. I, I get it, too. <laughs> and yet I feel like, what the fuck is going on with this movie? Uh <laughs> Yeah, I love Vic Diaz. Um, and well, I would hope so, Liam. You made us start a podcast devoted to. <laughs> and I and I think he is a charming in this, and I really can say that he's the best part of the movie, uh, and and not feel bad about that because he just he really is. And I wish there was there was more. I wish their love story was the was the side story, and his detective work was the focus of the film. That's what I that's what I wish, Doug. But that's not going to be the case for us here, or probably with. All, any of the movies we're talking about. Oh, Liam, that's just Liam sorry to interrupt, but we forgot to talk about one thing. What's that? Which is that there's a part where our couple at the center of this, that she wants to go on a sexy date, and she asks to be taken to a cockfight. Yes. <laughs> and the scene of the cockfight, which is, of course, absolutely awful, because I think Liam and I have both been clear that we, you know, hey, you know what? I'm going to take the stand, Liam. Not in favor of cockfighting. Um, and not only is it there a cockfight scene, but she literally has like sexual ecstasy watching these roosters attack each other. She basically comes all over the place because she sees these animals murder each other. It is fucking weird and uncomfortable. It's, I specifically wiped it from my mind, Doug. It's the most upsetting <laughs> part of the movie. It doesn't make any sense. The, it, the, the, it, it cuts between her watching the cockfight and then what seems... Like later on, she's enjoying oral pleasure from from her lover. That's yeah. what it seems to be, and it's directly connected. drawing a connection between the yeah. two. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's one of the most terrifying things I've seen in a long time. Uh, yeah, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks for bringing that back. Uh, let's just go ahead and end the episode. Uh, how about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I I think we could both say like this is not a great one. I don't know. Even if you are the most intense of Vic Diaz fans, I don't know if this is worth your time. Uh, but, you know, maybe we're wrong. Maybe you are really into this style of uh, 
sexy action uh, film, in which case, especially if you are obsessed with Cherry Cafaro, for those maybe who have seen her other movies and just think she's really great, yeah. you get a ton of her here. That is where yeah. the movie really fucking delivers. Uh, but I got to say, her co-star, even if you love her, I don't know how you could get around her co-star because he's just not hes just not very good. Uh, uh, if you want to check out this movie, by the way, it's currently streaming on Tubi for yep. free. Uh, yep. So you can always check it out there. A very watchable widescreen print of it. Too. Yeah. Uh, on our next episode, we're going to be talking about uh, a very important movie. Doug, you might not know how important this movie I is. I know how important. I picked this specifically for you because I know of your affinity for it. Mm-hmm. This is 1973's Savage, which was really – it wasn't the beginning of my exploitation uh, interest, but it was – me getting deeper into it because this film played at the first X-Fest and that first X-Fest, Doug, which is, a uh, uh, for the people who don't know, Exhumed Films in Philly does a 12-hour exploitation film fest. This played that first fest and I had my wife, Susan, with me and that began her interest in exploitation film. And what's interesting is, while horror is definitely something I enjoy by myself in the dark, uh, exploitation films, specifically black exploitation, um samurai and kung fu films uh certain kinds of like uh uh crime and euro crime films these are all things i enjoy with my wife that she is also interested in now not at the obsessive nerdy level i am but definitely definitely something that i can put on and she's stoked on and one of the movies from that first x-fest we really loved was this movie savage and it was a hundred percent the first of these Filipino movies, uh, well, let's say movies filmed in the Philippines. Yes, of uh, that 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 I ever saw and really started that that interest for me. So this is a big one, and I'm pretty excited to talk about it. Uh, so directed by Sirio H. Santiago, we're back to him once again yep. on the next episode, 1973's Savage. Doug, if people have for some weird reason enjoyed this uh, episode and would like more of of our show and and other shows uh, on the Cinepunks Network, where can they find us? Well, you can always find our latest episodes over at Cinepunks.com, which also has an array of other wonderful podcasts and some tremendous writing, including from uh, the other host of this show, Liam O'Donnell, has some uh, recent writing on there that you can check out over at Cinepunks. You can also find them on your social media location of choice, including Instagram and Twitter under the name Cinepunks. Uh, always linked over on uh, the Cinepunks site as well. If you want to check out more episodes of Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz or our other Cinema Smorgasbord podcast, you can always do that over at cinemasmorgasbord.com or on Twitter at cinemasmorg. That's S-M-O-R-G. You can also check out our Facebook page. Just look up Cinema Smorgasbord over there. If you want to check out Liam on Twitter, it's at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. Or I'm on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. If you enjoy any of our podcasts, whether that be Cinepunks, whether that be Cinema Smorgasbord, why don't you leave a review on your podcast provider of choice or even better why don't you tell a friend how much you're enjoying it telling them they have to sit down and listen to an episode right now stop listening to terrestrial radio start listening to podcasts right this very second yeah i'm into that that's right that's correct (laughs) i appreciate that um Uh, keep in mind that website again is C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X and we just want to say thanks for listening Uh, tell a friend rate, review, subscribe Uh, we really really appreciate the support that we get and uh, do us a favor and and check out our Patreon over there at cinepunks.com we would really appreciate it Uh, but until next time we just want to say thank you for listening and we'll talk to you soon good night Summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirt and gritty. Then down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. All around, people looking half dead, walking on the sidewalk harder than a match. Yeah. But tonight it's different world. Go out and find a girl. Come on, come on and dance all night. Despite the heat, it'll be alright. And babe, don't you know it's a pity the days can't be like the nights in the summer, in the city, in the summer.